You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Usually at the top of the show, I rant at you for a few minutes about something that I'm upset or concerned about. And what I'm most upset and most concerned about today, Tuesday, is what happened in North Carolina last week. But as I sat down to think about what I might say at the top of the show, I realized I was just going to repeat and regurgitate a lot of what Dominic Holden, national LGBT reporter at BuzzFeed News, has been writing over the last week about North Carolina. So I thought better than just regurgitate Dom, I would invite Dom to come on for the top of the show. Hey, Dom, thanks for jumping on the phone. Good to be here, Dan. Full disclosure, we used to work together here at the Stranger home paper. Now that that's out of the way, what the fuck happened in North Carolina last week? I mean, essentially what happened was there was a backlash to what the Charlotte City Council did in February. They passed a non-discrimination ordinance that covered gender identity and sexual orientation for employment, housing, and this was the big one, uh, public accommodations. And Republican leaders in the Capitol were concerned about this public accommodation portion. They said that this was going to allow transgender women, who they called men, uh, to use public restrooms and locker rooms and essentially sexually prey on women and girls. So what they did in response was they convened a special one-day session before the city law could take effect, and the state passed House Bill 2. And they did this in about 10 hours. What it did was essentially two things. The first is override all local non-discrimination ordinances that provide discrimination protections that aren't covered by state law. And then they left out LGBT people from coverage. Um, the other thing it did is it specifically mandated that transgender students and r- restrooms and government-run buildings, uh, they could not be accessed by people with a corresponding gender identity. And in schools, that's a particularly uh, legally questionable move because under the Obama administration, the federal government has found that violating transgender students' rights is illegal under civil rights laws. Okay, so there will be lawsuits. Jumping back out a little bit, there are hundreds of statutes like this in cities all across the country that allow people to – that protect LGBT civil rights and also allow transgender people to use the facilities that correspond with their gender identities. So if these – lying douchebag shitheads in North Carolina in the legislature, mostly Republicans, although Dems voted for this too. But if they were right, if allowing trans people to use bathrooms and public facilities and locker rooms that correspond with their gender identities led to men in dresses assaulting women and girls, we would have hundreds and hundreds of cases all across the country in these other cities that provide exactly these protections. So do we have any examples of the the shit that they're fear-mongering about actually happening anywhere else? No. Uh, Yeah, there's more than 200 cities. There are 17 states that have these protections for gender identity and public accommodations. And there are no examples of anyone abusing the law or using it as a defense to do something like this. I mean, the opposite is actually the, the case where assaults motivated by hate against transgender people are extraordinarily high. In 2014, the year that we have the most recent data for, they actually increased 
even though hate crimes went down against LGBT people as a whole. Mm -hmm. And the weird irony of all of this is they want to keep so-called men out of women's bathrooms, but instead transgender men under this law, bearded, muscular men, are required to use the women's restroom if they're transgender. And so it actually creates the very problem of men and women's restrooms that they claim that they're solving. We've talked about this on the show before because these trans bathroom bills keep popping up. And I've described it really as a blood libel against trans people because it just – it posits that trans people are perverts who are coming to attack your daughter, which gets trans people assaulted, gets trans people murdered. And it doesn't seem to be stopping. In fact, Gathering Steam, we had an LGBT civil rights ordinance repealed in Houston at the ballot box because they went after this – Blood libel shibboleth, this blood libel bullshit that there are men in dresses attacking women in bathrooms as a result of these sorts of civil rights protections, which is just not true. How do we push back against this more effectively? Well, yeah, I mean, this is coming up again more and more, and I'm not sure that it's really about targeting transgender people, even though on its face that's what it's doing. It's more likely this is just an effective strategy from the far right that has been sort of populating city councils and legislatures and campaigns, and it's part of a broad effort to block LGBT rights, whether it's in Houston or Charlotte or whatever the next city might be. Um, you know, the LGBT movement has been found really flat-footed, especially a lot of the national organizations that have responded to this by simply sort of talking about the general need to protect people from discrimination. And it seems that that argument is completely ineffective. Um, what has been effective for marriage, for instance, was having the public see loving married same-sex couples. It is widely believed that the solution here is that the public needs to see transgender people as human beings. They need to be on the radio ads. They need to be on TV. And it is just that much more difficult to demonize somebody if they are a whole human being. And we also need to say trans people are already using the goddamn bathroom everywhere. And so if this was a problem, trans people in bathrooms, we would have evidence of it and there's no evidence of it. There's just demagoguery and it's familiar demagoguery to anybody with a passing familiarity with the LGBT civil rights movement's history because this was the stuff that they led with in the 70s against gay men, that we were sexual predators, that we were coming for your children. That's why we couldn't teach. It's why we had to be kept out of locker rooms and not be Cub Scout leaders because we were predators and we fought back against that. But that was hard to do. That charge of recruitment – or uh, preying upon kids was so deadly that for a long time we just avoided even addressing it. And we have to address it now again. It, it, you know, it feels like Groundhog Day for hate. Like we have to address this whole charge again, but with trans people, for trans people, in defense of trans people. And LGBT organizations have not been full-throated about doing that, and they have been losing again and again. And in the case of North Carolina – this time, it didn't just block the enactment of Charlotte's ordinance. It blocks any such ordinances from keep saying in effect or taking effect anywhere in North Carolina after this. So being unprepared for this fight sets them back. A hopeful sign, though, cases about marriage equality when they reached the Supreme Court, folks tried to argue that DOMA wasn't motivated by anti-gay bias and they were able to point to the things that the backers of DOMA said when they passed DOMA, which were clearly homophobic and, and clearly indicated the law was motivated by anti-gay bias. Even though there's nothing that specifically mentions LGBT people in this ordinance's language, 
that singles us out necessarily. All of the dialogue about it, the testimony about it, what people who backed the law said about it, including the politicians who passed it and the governor who signed the bill, clearly indicates anti-LGBT bias. So hopefully the courts will come through for us again as this winds its way through the courts. Don, quickly before we let you go, anything average people who aren't in North Carolina can do to help? Um, if they, I mean, what they can do is they can support their trans friends. They can, if they want to help this out right now, the lawsuit is being, uh, backed by the ACLU and by Lambda Legal. Uh, those are the groups who seem to be organizing the response on the ground and in the courts. So make a donation, Lambda Legal, ACLU, let them know why you're giving them some money. Dominic Holden, BuzzFeed News National LGBT reporter. Thanks for jumping on the phone, Dom. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Dominic. Please check out his stuff at BuzzFeed News on LGBT civil rights, specifically on North Carolina. It is great reporting. Coming up today on the show, tons of your questions. And on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, we have poly pioneer and activist Elena Gabash to feel some poly cues on today's show. Hi, Dan. I'm calling you from New York. I am a 30-year-old woman working in the field of reproductive health, which makes my question a little bit ridiculous. But I'm wondering what the protocol is after a con mishap in this Tinder world that I have just immersed myself in. I Tindered with a guy for a while. Uh, we met for three or four dates. Um, most recently, I went back to his house. And we were fooling around. I heard him kind of snapping the condom a little bit when he put it on, which I should have been really concerned about. But I trusted him and he's a 33 year old seemingly smart person and condom breaks I'm in the middle of my ovulation uh, or on my ovulation day I had to go get emergency contraception which was in this case a copper coil because as most people don't know the morning after pill is actually not statistically effective if you've already ovulated or uh, are on or after your ovulation day anyway I'm wondering kind of speak to him about it. I really want to chew him out. Not sure what to do there. Any suggestion would be great. I'm furious. Thanks for the heads up about emergency contraception not being that effective or very effective if you are ovulating or have just ovulated. That is something that doesn't get mentioned often. I even had to go Google it to make sure that what you were saying was accurate. But you are right. Emergency contraception, not as effective if a woman has ovulated or not effective as if a woman has ovulated. And Doctors do recommend the insertion instead of an emergency copper IUD, which can prevent contraception in 99% of cases compared to 75% with EC. Anyway, all right, moving on to this guy's condom. You heard a snap sound when he was putting it on. Later, the condom broke. These two things could be unrelated. Perhaps they are related. Maybe he put the condom on in such a way and that snap sound you heard was an indication that he didn't put it on properly and the improper application of the condom contributed to the failure of the condom, which is a thing. You need to be able to put a condom on correctly for a condom to work correctly. Leave a little space on the tip, roll it down slowly, hold the base of the condom while you are withdrawing. Don't come in a condom and then just rest inside there because the vaginal or anal cavity can push down on the condom and cause the semen to leak out and you can get somebody pregnant or expose somebody to whatever you might have to expose them to, including your fertile sperm cells. Lots of ways in which you have to properly use a condom for a condom to be properly effective. 
you seem to want to blow up at this guy because you had to run around and get the emergency IUD insertion uh, for your emergency contraception. And you seem angry, but I don't see necessarily an established beyond a reasonable doubt cause and effect guilt there. And just you heard a sound when he was putting the condom on. Sometimes condoms fail of their own accord. You should still say something to this guy. You just shouldn't be quite so angry when you say it. You might want to lead with the condom we were using broke. I don't know why. Maybe it was an old condom. Maybe something else went wrong. Maybe just shit happens. There's also maybe you didn't put it on right, which is shit that sometimes happens with condoms. And you can send him a link to websites at the Centers for Disease Control, at Planned Parenthood, at Scarlet Teen. You can send him a link to a website that explains how to properly put a condom on and suggest that maybe he give it a read for next time. Not next time with you, but next time he uses a condom so that this doesn't happen again if indeed he is responsible for this happening. Hi, Dan. This is Eric in New Orleans. I have uh, been a heterosexual male for my entire life. That being said, about three years ago, I was invited into a three-way with a couple that wanted to see some guy-on-guy oral action. Since then, I've been in the lifestyle and loved every minute of it. However, recently, I've found there's a bit of a double standard with guys that are at least willing to interact orally with other guys. Some couples request and will not have a three-way with you if you refuse. Others, if they find out that you've had any guy-on-guy oral action, will absolutely abstain from even considering the idea of a three-way with you. I don't care one way or another. I'm definitely a heterosexual male and always have and always will be. That said, I'm completely comfortable with this aspect of my sexuality. It's truly something that couples I get with want to see, and I don't mind the fact that it's part of their fantasy and I'm helping make that come true. That being said, the double standard is absolutely angering me to the nines at present. Is there any guidance you could have for maybe couples or guys that are in this particular situation? Just so we're clear, you are a unicorn. Unicorns exist. People looking for a third, uh, you are the unicorn. Uh, And we are talking to you. So mythical but not non-existent animal, the unicorn. Welcome to the show. Uh, And you sometimes get with male-female couples – And the issue is a lot of these couples, they want to see some male-male oral action as a part of the three-way. Yes. And initially, that was somewhat surprising and, you know, a newer thing for me. Um, I somewhat opened my head to it and not, you know, being, you know, I didn't particularly care. I'm definitely a believer. I think you've said it before. Putting one thing in one hole doesn't make you gay or anything. I'm certainly more than comfortable with that. Not that there's anything um, wrong with being gay. Remember who you're talking to. Right, right, right. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, but, but you're not, you're not bi-identified either. You're a straight guy who, in the context of a male, male, female three-way, occasionally will suck or let someone suck your dick. Uh, but both, but yeah. Okay, but you're straight identified. And I think that's fine. You can be straight identified. Oh, no, yeah. everyone's well. Same here. That, that is uh, no, no problems identity-wise. And I, I would I would happily defend that on the basis of I don't don't have really any interest in a relationship with a man under you know bi identification, gay identification, so on and poly, et cetera. So right. in, the, so in the context of an erotic experience with a human female at the center of it or a huge part of it, a little male on male ed action for you is a part of that basically primarily heterosexual sex act, right? Is that a good way to say it? That is. Uh, there, I mean, the kinkier you could get with a couple, you know, if a cuckold 
type scenario was in play, mm-hmm. you could slightly remove the female from the immediacy of it. You know, she's on her way home from work or something like that. That I mean, that adds to the fun. But again, it, it's still within that kind of heterosexual. You just you're adding to the fun for the couple, from my perspective. Right. Okay. So the problem, though, is not that couple that's down with a little cocksucking. The problem is a subsequent couple that might want to have a male, male, female three-way with you, they're turned off. If you're honest about the fact that in previous relationships with other couples or previous experiences with other couples, you've sucked a dick and then they don't want to get with you. Is that right? Is that right? Right. And I'm not going to lie. It kind of hit me. I was like, this is a bit of a double standard. Why is it a double standard? Uh, because, well, for one, I don't like getting punished for honesty. Um, the mm. argument, I think after my initial, not argument, that would be the wrong word, but the, you know, objection to this behavior was further expanded upon as, well, it's too much of a disease risk. And while I, I guess you could kind of justify that argument based on what I know, certainly you would know that better than I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's just a double standard for the sake of double standard. Well, I'm going to get in trouble right now by opening my mouth. It's my specialty. Gay and bi <laughs> men, higher incidence of sexually transmitted infections. So concerned oh, about... Yeah, no, I agree with that entirely. But, but I, do, I think they throw that out there and that's not their primary concern. I think it's a legitimate concern. People should be concerned about sexually transmitted infections. People have a, you know, a responsibility to be cognizant of their risks and a right to mitigate them. And sometimes people attempt to mitigate them in ways that feel unfair. Like, I'm not going to sleep with you if you're gay or bi or include you in this male, male, female three-way if you're gay or bi because we think you might have a greater risk of introducing an STI. Mm, that seems unfair. But I think their real objection, and based on my conversations with male, female couples seeking a male third for a three-way, is probably the dude's insecurity that if you have a taste for dick, you're going to lunge on his dick. There's a lot of male, female couples out there who would like to have a male, male, female three-way, but they don't want any male, male action and it's not her that's so concerned about it. And it's not a disease. It's the dude who's insecure about winding up in bed with someone who's going to objectify him or, or wants I to initiate any homosexual contact. And I think more so than disease, what these couples are attempting to control for is desire, is that you would come in not just desiring her and she wouldn't therefore be the focus of all of your attentions, but you might come in desiring him and turn some of your focus and some of your attentions toward him. And that might make him feel uncomfortable and ruin the three-way for them. So I think you should throw that out there and get out in front of that. Like, oh, yeah, some people talk about disease and that seems to be the issue. But in my experience, a lot of people are really concerned that I'm going to go after the guy. And I have no desire to go after the guy if the guy doesn't want to be gone after. But I attempted that explanation of this particular couple. Uh, and it, I mean, it, it fell upon 100%. Years. That's why I say, like, well, I guess you could back up the disease argument with statistics you know, we, we all take risks because, I, I mean, you know, everyone drives to work every day. You've said that before as well. It's just purely like you're couching your excuse in the risks. In reality, I, I think there's just some hesitation on I, I may just dive on a, on a dick. Right. Homophobia and gay panic. And it's crazy to think that somebody who's actively seeking a male, male, female three-way could have gay panic. But some guys do. The wife wants to have the MMF three-way. The husband's down with it, but it's got to be one of those the streams don't cross, the swords don't cross three-ways where one guy is always away from the other guy at all times. You're sort of two moons orbiting the planet of her but never right, right. never bumping into each other. 
Well, I mean, 75% of the three ways I've had, and I've had a healthy amount over an extended period of time at this point, you know, it's not even asked about, but it does come up in that 25% on, you know, the the very first three way I ever had, it was an issue. And they wanted to see some guy on guy action. I said, well, what kind of guy on guy action? And then I I used my logic for having been a, a listener for some time said, you know, I don't really care how gay this doesn't make me. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, just, I really didn't care that much about it. You know, I'd, I'd never considered blowing a guy beforehand. This is just a scenario where if you want to do Y, you got to do X first. And I don't I mean, I'm certainly okay with it. I have no objection to it. The disease risks are not crazy in my, you know, from my standpoint. And I mean, I, obviously it should have, but I get tested regularly. I know the behavior we're all engaging in. It is risky for everyone, but that, when it, once I put these statistics out there of like I'm tested on a monthly basis mm. and always use protection, that's when I it became very compellingly obvious that it was just a you know you never know where he might be looking while you know I'm on one end and you're on the other. Okay, so now that we've unpacked all of this and run it to ground, what's the problem exactly? Some people who don't want to get with you don't want to be gotten with, but do you want to get with people who don't want to get with you based on your history? It seems to me that. If they opt out, they have a right to opt out, and you're being spared landing in bed with people who might freak out if they ever found out that you'd have a dick in your mouth once or twice. Well, I guess the problem going forward would be, you know, I, I'm hesitant to not be honest with people. I, I mean, I'm not gay. I'm not bi by any means. Uh, it's more of a some couples are asking for this. I don't mind it. So when asked, you know, what's your experience interacting with a guy, my immediate reaction is, well, I'm willing to do this, but not desirous of it. I, it was and wait, wait, my wait. Initial... And so you think it's a trick question. Some of these people are asking, what about interacting with the guy? And what they right. want to hear is, no, never. I would never. I have never. And you then being honest, out yourself as having ever done it. And then you're disqualified. Right. And I, I have a particular problem. Not Look, if, the, if I really thought the objection was, you know, the disease risk is higher, and it is, but I don't think it's that much higher, particularly in regard to oral play. Now, if you really want to extend it, then you get into a lot more issues, I think, with, you know, well, what's your protection, you know, how often, you're really getting into breaking down how safe I actually am, whereas with just oral play, we're talking about herpes, which I think you would agree with me that everyone already has anyway, for the most part. Which I know no one, you know, if you don't have it, you don't want it. But I'm just saying the risk is not so elevated to back that argument up. And in this particular couple of cases, I definitely, as we've already discussed, think this is purely a, well, he might, he might just go for it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's an issue. It's, that is what I said. When I say double standard, I, that's the part I, I mean, like, well, they're asking one question, but they really mean, you know, they're really trying to catch you okay, as opposed so to you have to ask yourself, you know, say this couple was scorching hot and they're the ideal couple for you and who you really want to get with. And you lost out on them because you were honest. Right. You need to right. ask yourself going forward whether you would want to be in bed with a couple that's super hot that if they knew wouldn't want to be in bed with you. I would rather in your shoes be honest and direct and not get with people who didn't want to actually get with me who I actually was or weren't smart enough sexually and sophisticated enough sexually to understand that you can be not gay or bi and still in the context of a male, male, female three-way have some male, male interaction. That's a part of the fun 
and primarily round it all up to heterosexual fun, I'd rather not be in bed with those people. But if you decide you would like to be in bed with those people, you might want to withhold this information. When they say, do you do guy on guy stuff? You can say, I'm not gay or bi. That's true. And then they can assume what you meant was I don't touch guys at all. And you can have a guys don't touch male, male, female three-way. Right. And, oh, and get away with it. Navigate the conversation, you know, to dodge the immediate answer that will get me disqualified. Right. And to work around the, you know, people have a double standard and people are being unfair. Some people are going to uh, work around that. Some people are going to not be fully honest lest they feel that they get the unfair, shitty end of the double standard stick. Right. And, and they have no one but themselves to blame at that point. But the question for you and the problem for you is who do you want to be in bed with? Do you want to be in bed with somebody who's likely to have a gay panic meltdown if indeed you lunge at his dick or if indeed he finds out in the moment or sometime later that you have had a dick in your mouth? Do you want to be in the room naked and hard with somebody who's prone to or, or potentially going to melt down into a puddle of gay panic? I wouldn't, if I were in your shoes, want to be in a room with that person naked and hard. I, I think I generally agree with you. And I, I, I would have to balance it out. This is a new perspective that I hadn't previously considered. But also, I don't necessarily want to be the person who's willing to lie about my standard in order to make it how you know, I, right. I have a pretty high honesty bar, I think. Uh, and so I, I it would be it would be a lie. Like, it would be a lie of omission, not a lie of commission. Right, right. But at the same time, it's the same standard. You know, it's the judgment standard that they're employing and asking the question. I, I would only be admitting and conceding to that standard by, you know, om- omission getting out of it. And I don't necessarily know if I'm, I don't think I'm okay with that. That's what, good. Then, then be who you are, be completely honest. And if it costs you an occasional roll in a hay with a particular couple, that's a price you should be willing to pay so that you don't have to feel as if, like you're being dishonest or manipulative. I would rather, I want you to come down on the honest and non manipulative side of the ledger, but. You know, some people are going to come down on the other side because they don't want to unfairly be cheated out of X because they're being judged unfairly for Y. And that's why people right. sometimes tr- attempt to work around double standards by not being fully honest or fully disclosing, particularly with people that they are unlikely to ever see again. So, in the, the, the world of three ways, I don't think I want to be the unhonest party. A lot of people talk to one another, a lot of couples talk behind the unicorn community's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not much communication on you know, the unicorn side of things, at least not that I've encountered. Uh, so I don't know if I would have come across as the guy who's lying because that, that can cut both ways. Meaning yeah. once the couples that are okay with it find out that I'm lying to the couples that are not okay with it, that creates even, an even bigger problem. That's not so necessarily why I would immediately say I don't want to be the guy who's, you know, committing the lie of omission. But it's, you know, something I would definitely have to balance if I were to take that track. So I, I think I'm with you. I don't want to lie to them any more than they want to be lied to. And I, nor do I really appreciate the, the the standard they're upholding, so to speak. So be galled by it, but be yourself, be honest, and move on. There are plenty of other couples out there. Good luck to you, man. Thank you very much, Dan. Hi, Dan, and tech savvy at risk youth, uh, straight male living in a midwestern city. I have a question about something that happened the other day. I was asleep, and I've heard of people snoring themselves awake, but I basically came myself awake. That is to say. I had a wet dream, and I woke up halfway through the climax of that wet dream. Um, I'm 23. I don't really remember having wet dreams when I was a teenager. Maybe I slept through them or something. I think this happened because I put the pillow in between my knees uh, to keep my knees from rubbing together, and I basically just humped myself awake or something like that. 
my question is, is there a way to make this happen on purpose? Uh, because that was a really fun way to wake up. There is no way to induce a particular kind of wet dream or particular kind of sleep-waking action like humping a pillow. I'm so sorry to have to be the one to break that to you. Hi, Dan. I'm a huge fan and figure you are the best source to help on this. One of my best friends in the world, who is also my roommate, is getting married this spring. The fiancé treats her very well and makes her very happy. However, the fiancé has made some of us in our friend group pretty uncomfortable at times. He comes from a very Catholic family and has said and expressed some pretty homophobic things. It's particularly problematic for our mutual gay friend. He understandably feels really alienated, uncomfortable, and pretty much ditched in the whole situation. In reality, he has grown very apart from our friend in this whole process, and it's pretty much gotten to the point he's considering not coming to the wedding at all. I would totally support and understand him needing to do this. However, at the same time, we've all been friends for many years, and I would really hate to see it all come to this. So at this point, I'm not sure what to do. Should I call out my best friend for her homophobic fiancé who makes people uncomfortable? Should I not say anything to her but support my gay friend in whatever he decides? Should I encourage him to say something to her? I just want everyone to get along and be happy. So when your roommate's shitty homophobic Catholic fiancé says shitty homophobic things in the presence of your mutual friend who happens to be gay, your friend, your roommate's friend, does anybody tell the fiancé that he's wrong? Does anybody tell him to shut the fuck up? Does anybody challenge him on his shitty homophobia? Or do people just sort of smile awkwardly and uncomfortably and hope the moment passes and allow the gay roommate or expect the gay roommate to just eat it, to suck that up, to, in the interest of everybody getting along, just shrug it off and pretend it wasn't said or pretend he's not hurt or pretend he's not offended. I guarantee you, your gay mutual friend who's been in your lives presumably longer than this fiancé has been in your lives is wounded when your roommate's fiancé says shitty things about him and none of his friends stick up for him. None of his friends come to his aid. None of his friends take his side in that moment. He's not thinking about skipping the wedding just to stay away from this shitty fiancé. I promise you, if this is the case, he's skipping the wedding because he doesn't want to be around you guys either so much anymore. Because if you're not friends enough to him to take his side, to defend him, to stick up for him, when some new guy that one of you happens to be fucking and thinking about marrying says bigoted shit about him in front of him, he's beginning to realize that maybe you're not the friends that he thought you were. So here's what you do. And it's kind of the opposite for right now of just trying to weasel everybody along into getting along and trying to de-escalate. You need to fucking escalate. You need to Tell the fiancé that he's an asshole. You need to tell the fiancé that this shit that comes out of his mouth is unacceptable to you, unacceptable in this circle that he has introduced himself into and will be cast out of if it doesn't fucking stop. So get in the motherfucker's face, confront the motherfucker, and do it in front of your gay friend. I think your gay friend might be a little bit more interested in coming to this fucking wedding 
after he sees you and your roommate get in this fiance's face about the shitty things that he's saying. It just occurred to me, perhaps your gay friend, if your gay friend has tried to stick up for himself, defend himself, if he has said, hey, that's not right and fuck you and why would you say that and I'm standing right here and I'm gay and the rest of you have been silent in the room and didn't fucking say a word when that went down, I'm surprised your gay friend is still talking to any of you, much less on the fence and not yet having decided not to come to this fucking wedding. Hi, Dan. I'm 30 years old and have been with my high school sweetheart for the last 15 years and married for five. I love my husband. and We're incredibly compatible, have amazing sex, and we are very communicative and like to explore new things together. Meanwhile, however, I've started to have some very confusing feelings. His best friend, who I've always had an extremely affectionate and cuddly relationship with, has lost about 140, 150 pounds or so. In the, and in the past um, four or five months, notice my feelings have started to change. I know it sounds incredibly shallow. It's just that I never saw him in that way before. And with the weight loss, he looks like a completely different person. We have the same cuddly relationship, yet now he is incredibly attractive and still one of my closest guy friends. My husband and I are very social and we hang out with our friends most nights of the week. So it doesn't help that I see him almost every day. I started to notice these feelings when I was around him and would all of a sudden realize my underwear were completely wet after snuggling with him. I tried to shove these feelings away, but they kept being there. I even told my husband half jokingly when we were talking about threesomes that I would love to have a threesome with him and his best friend, which my husband, not surprisingly, did not take very seriously. Fast forward to now, things have gotten complicated. We hang out a lot, which again is not weird since we are very close friends. When alone, though, the snuggling has gotten more inappropriate and we have started talking a lot over Snapchat, which miraculously disappears in seconds. As you can imagine, it is a very easy place to say anything without any consequences. There's a lot of sexual tension between us, but even worse, my feelings are also emotional. I really adore him. Normally, I would tell my husband about my crushes. However, this is a little too real for me. I don't know. I don't want to throw my um, his best friend under the bus who is feeling just as terrible about betraying his friend and having the feelings he is also having. I know this is incredibly cliche, the whole spouse and best friend thing. And we both know that our lives would be ruined if anything actually happened. I hate that I'm being dishonest in my feelings and actions toward my husband. I need some advice on how to navigate this problem while maintaining my integrity in a healthy relationship with both people involved. I love the way you say that Snapchat is this place where you can say anything without consequences as if sort of speech, saying things out loud is consequence-free, that there's no evidence that you're not saying something out loud into a microphone and creating a digital trail or a tape doesn't mean that the your utterances are without potential consequence. All Snapchat does is kind of digitally recreate speech as if you guys are together and saying things that are disappearing into the ether as you say them. There's still potentially consequential things that you are saying. These are still potentially consequential things that you are saying to your husband's best friend via Snapchat. You guys are cranking each other up via Snapchat. You are not leaving a digital trail. Your husband isn't going to be able to go into your Snapchat and read the conversations that you've been having with his best friend. But those conversations, even without 
creating a digital trail, even without leaving that evidence, are, as you are discovering, increasingly, potentially consequential, very consequential, because you two are cranking each other up over Snapchat. And while you snuggle on the couch, now that snuggling means something very different, snuggling with your husband's best friend on the couch when your husband's best friend was 140 pounds heavier and therefore someone that you did not see as sexual, and maybe he then didn't see himself as particularly sexual or deserving of your sexual attention either. Maybe he was that insecure. Then it didn't mean what it means now. The snuggling then, in the past, 140 plus pounds ago, was less consequential or consequence-free. The snuggling now, now that you want to fuck the shit out of this guy, consequential, potentially, highly consequential, if it would indeed ruin both of your lives if you guys followed through. So, and by follow through, I mean fuck the shit out of each other. So you really are in a place where you have to go all in or you have to get all the way the fuck out. You either need to go to your husband and say, I want to fuck your best friend. Known him for 15 years, really like him. Doesn't mean I love you less. Want to fuck him. Remember when I said maybe we could have a three-way with your best friend? It was because I wanted to fuck him. And can I? May I please? Do I have your permission? Do I have your consent to fuck your best friend with or without you there participating in three? Maybe it'd be weird for you to have a three-way with your best friend. Can I have a two-way with your best friend? You don't have to be there and see what he says. And who knows? Your husband might say yes. Your husband, who has been this guy's best friend for 15 years or longer, maybe their friendship predates your relationship with your husband – Maybe he's known that his friend is lonely and miserable and didn't have much luck with women previously. Maybe his weight was an impediment not just with you seeing him as attractive but with others seeing him as attractive or he himself seeing himself as attractive. And who knows? Maybe your husband will say to you, you know what? He's been deprived for a long time because of his weight, because of fat phobia, because of his own insecurities. And maybe it would be a good thing if you fucked the shit out of him. Maybe you'll get a yes if you ask not for a three-way, which is not really what you want, but for the two-way, the hall pass that you do want. Maybe your husband isn't possessive or maybe your husband would love to make you available in this way you would like to be made available to his best friend in friendship, just not without him in the room. That's all in in the context of a committed monogamous ish relationship. It's going and getting your husband's consent. All out means stop fucking Snapchatting with this guy. All out, really, if fucking him or even asking your husband if you could fuck him has the potential to ruin your lives, both of your lives, then you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to stop snuggling with him because snuggling is different now. And you need to stop Snapchatting with him. You need to stop cranking each other up because the more you crank each other up, the likely you are to do something that has the potential to destroy your lives. Your words, not mine. Don't destroy your life. Don't keep cranking each other up if this is something you cannot act on ethically. And you owe your husband's best friend an honest answer about why the Snapchat is ending and why the snuggles are ending because the risks are too great. The risks you're both running here are too great. And so it's over. It has to stop before something that you regret goes down. And another good reason to cut the friend off, if indeed that's the choice that you make, right? Not all in, but all out, ending the Snapchatting, ending the snuggling, is you may be taking up a lot of his time and attention right now. 
maybe if he doesn't have a lot of experience talking people into fucking him, right, going out there and getting sex, that you're a comfortable, safe place, a comfortable, safe person to open up to like this. But so long as you are stringing him along, so long as you are drawing him out, so long as you are allowing yourself to be the focus of all of his sexual attentions and fantasies, he may not go find someone else in your place. Go find someone more appropriate to focus his attentions on. So long as you are there being safe and familiar and cuddly and lovey and Snapchatty. But once you are no longer there being cuddly, snuggly, Snapchatty with him, you will have an incentive to go find someone else to do all of that shit with. And then once you see him doing all of that shit with someone else, that can go a long way toward extinguishing your, perhaps not your feelings for him, but your obsession with him. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is a girl from the Midwest. I'm 28. And I just this weekend had a threesome for the first time. Um, and it was really, really fun. It was like not awkward at all, which I like, I'm an awkward person. So that was especially amazing. Um, and we had a lot of fun. The The girl, it was a, it was a couple and the, I was their guest star. We met on Tinder. We had like a informal drink date, um, a week before. And then this weekend is when we, um, had some fun. I'm just kind of wondering about etiquette a little bit. They both came a lot and I didn't, but I also still enjoyed myself very much. And I kind of mentioned to the guy that I didn't come, but that it uh, takes a lot of focus and diligence because it's just difficult for me to come anyway. And my question is, should I prioritize my pleasure more? Because we're probably going to do this again. And I'm just curious if it would be rude of me to ask for maybe a little bit more attention, um, even after they're done or something. I don't know. I guess it can't hurt to help to like just ask. But um, what are your thoughts? It does take me just some concentration and effort to really get there, although I know um, that they could. I don't think you would be calling in to ask me about this. If you didn't already kind of sort of want to prioritize your pleasure more. So absolutely the etiquette in this situation is for you to advocate for yourself, to advocate for your own pleasure. Also, the onus is on them and they have a responsibility as the couple who have been invited in this rare and hard to find animal, the unicorn you, to see to your pleasure, to be invested in your pleasure. I'm frankly shocked and disappointed in them, this couple, that they both came and came like crazy and neither seemed to be aware that you hadn't come until you mentioned it meekly, it seems, to the guy. That they weren't soliciting this from you, that they weren't asking you whether you got off or how you would like to get off or how they could make you come after you were there to help make the both of them come has me wondering whether they're the kind of couple that you as a unicorn should be getting with more than once or getting with again or getting with at all if you'd known that going in. Because that's not good couple etiquette in a three-way situation with a new person or a stranger. For them just to use you for their pleasure, which is partly what you're there for, but to just use you for their pleasure and to not allow you or to 
invite you to use them for yours. For there to be no reciprocity there. For you to have to go to them and say, I didn't come, means they're bad at this. And do you really want to go have sex again with people who are bad at this? Not necessarily bad at sex. It sounds like they're pretty good at sex. They both came. Pretty good at looking after themselves and making sure it works for them. But bad at being a good lover, the two of them together being a good lover unit for you, their third. All that said, if you decide to hook up with this couple again, it would not be rude at all of you to request more attention, to ask for more attention, to bring it to their attention if they hadn't yet noticed that you didn't come and next time you get together, you would really like to come. You can tell them in advance that you require concentration and effort to come, that it takes you a little while. I tried to get you on the phone because I wanted to ask what you meant by concentration and effort and what you meant by some time to come. If it takes you an hour and 45 minutes to come and you need to be laying still in a very particular position, gripping every muscle in your body with your eyes rolled back in your head and the laundry dryer between your legs pounding away, that might be something that it's hard to get every time you have sex with someone. But every once in a while when you have sex with someone that you get off – regularly and competently for you to request that they plow the extra time and attention required to get you off, even if it's elaborate and extended, that's not an unreasonable ask. It's a perfectly reasonable ask. People who have difficulty climaxing without a lot of really focused, concentrated effort, I think it's a good idea generally for people who have those issues not to require an orgasm every time that they have sex. And most people I know with those issues don't require an orgasm every time that they have sex. They realize that sex for them, if orgasm is the goal, is a huge production and sometimes an ordeal, not just for the partners, but also for them. A lot of people who require concentrated time, effort, focus to come don't want to come every time because they don't want to have to put in the time and the effort and the focus and the concentration to get off themselves. But to say to anyone that you're sleeping with or to this couple if you continue to sleep with them, take some time for me to get off. You guys obviously are easier to get off and I'm happy to help. That's why I'm here and I enjoy the sex and I enjoy the intimacy. I enjoy the companionship. I enjoy you guys as a couple and I want to – you guys have as many orgasms as you can. I'd like to have an orgasm every once in a while too. So here's kind of what I need when it's my turn to come. And if we do this regularly, I don't have to come every time, asterisk, if – Indeed, you do require an hour and 45 minutes or whatever it is to get off. But I don't need to have an orgasm every time. But I would like to have an orgasm most of the times, often. And since you require effort and time and focus and concentration, maybe don't delay your orgasm to the end of the night. If you wait until they're both completely spent, if you wait until they've had their many, many, many orgasms before you ask them to ramp up and help you have theirs, they might be exhausted. So strategically – For all of you, it would be a good idea on those nights or every night that you guys get together going forward if you're going to want one every time and you deserve one every time, for you to prioritize your orgasm earlier in the evening, that your orgasm comes first or after their first orgasms but before their second and third orgasms. Good luck. Stick up for yourself. The etiquette in the moment when it's a three-way or a two-way or a four-way or a whatever way is that we should advocate for ourselves and feel free to advocate for ourselves sexually. Feel free to advocate for our own pleasure in the moment. 
And if we're with people that we don't feel comfortable advocating for our own pleasure in the moment, maybe they're not the right people to be with. But also we should be solicitous of other people's pleasure. We should, as we take our own pleasures with other people and from them, make sure that they are being pleasured in turn. They really should have said to you when they were having their 13th or 14th orgasm or whatever it was, how would you like to get off? Have you gotten off yet? Let's get you off. That they didn't say that. I'm circling back to the top of the answer. That they didn't say that. I'm not sure I would get with those people again. But if you want to, if you want to get with them again and they don't have the presence of mind or concern for you to say that, how would you like to get off? Did you get off? You need to speak up for yourself and say, I didn't get off. Here's how I'd like to get off. Hi, I'm a cis white male in a poly marriage with a wonderful woman who I've been married to for uh, the past four years and in a relationship for over a decade. Uh, I love her to pieces um, and she's the love of my life. Uh, but we have a poly marriage. And when she first got a boyfriend and I did not have a secondary at the time, um, it was very hard for me. I feel like that was something that had implications in our relationship and was really hard for me to come to terms with at first. I did come to terms with it. They'd been, they've been in a relationship for the past year and it's been really great. So now, just a month ago, uh, I started seeing this really wonderful woman. She and I have just started having some fun together. And the issue is that um, now that we're a month in and we've got kind of the NRE high and all of that, that my wife and her boyfriend are breaking up. This is causing a number of different issues, but one of the main ones that I'm having is before uh, we basically could coordinate her being going over to her boyfriend because her boyfriend has her own place and uh, being out at the same time that I could have my girlfriend in uh, at our place. My girlfriend currently is not in a living situation where I can actually go over to her place. So what I'm trying to figure out now is now that she doesn't have a place to be out at, how best can I make this work where I want to have nights where I have alone time with my new girlfriend because we also very much care for one another and we're at that beginning part of the relationship and really want to see a lot of each other if we can, but yet at the same time be very considerate of my wife who's going through some hard relationship times. Joining me to help tackle this problem, Elena Gabash, founding director of the Center for Sex Positive Culture. She's currently the development director there. She's Polly. She's a kink and relationship coach, an educator, and an activist, and a once and future podcaster. You should check out the archives of her podcast, The Relationship Anarchy Show, at theRAshow.com. Hey, Elena, thanks for jumping on the phone. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Dan. So how long have you been doing the poly thing yourself? <laughs> okay, so I turned 63 March 25th. You did not. Wait, hold it. I know you personally. You are not 63. <laughs> Holy crap. I know. It's kind of, it's creepy, really. <laughs> You're yeah, the youngest 63-year-old I know, but please go ahead. How long have you been doing the poly thing? I have been doing non-monogamy since I was 19. And uh, no, 18, excuse me. I had my first three-way 
uh, with my boyfriend and his best friend and me uh, when I was 18 years old. And uh, then my first three-way with a, a married couple when I was 18 years old. And uh, and I've never looked back. And I've tried monogamy over and over and over. And I've always had to either end my relationship or open my relationship because I was raised fundamentalist Christian, so I was supposed to be monogamous. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do it. And um, and since ethically I would not cheat on a partner, I've either had to open up relationships or end relationships all my life. Maybe it's the three-way thing that ruins us for monogamy, because I don't know if you know this about me, but I lost my virginity in a three-way with another guy and a girl, and I tried to do monogamy too, and I couldn't do it. Maybe it's three-ways that are the problem. Maybe it is, and, and I've had both kinds. Well, I said I've had all kinds, but yeah, it was like, like it was kind of, it, and it was funny, the three-way with the the woman and her husband, she was the first woman I was ever with. And I, after that, I thought, well, maybe I didn't really like her that much mm-hmm. and I liked it that much. And I thought, well, maybe I'm not bisexual. And then I realized I just liked her husband better than I liked her, uh, which caused complications. I did find out, you know, later that I, I liked women just as much as I like men. And in fact, I call myself a sapiosexual because really smart people turn me on. That's pretty much it. Gender is kind of irrelevant. So watch out Stephen Hawking's if you're ever in Seattle. Oh, Elena Gabash yeah. will peel the bark off you. <laughs> All right. Let's speaking of complications in poly relationships or relationships, period. Relationships, all of them are complicated. All of them can be hard. But here's a unique to, I think, poly relationship complication or hardship. She's got a boyfriend, the wife's got a boyfriend, the husband's got a girlfriend, everybody's happy. The wife gets dumped by her boyfriend, and the husband wants to be sensitive to how sad the wife is, but wants still to run off and experience the new relationship energy with the girlfriend. It took him a long time to find. What's the right thing for a poly husband to do in a situation like that? Wow. Well, the the fact that he's sensitive to the whole thing is actually really key. Is um, A lot of times when there's primary couple partners, they'll have a pre-agreement that they make ahead of time about if this happens, if that happens. But we never can guess what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And when our heart gets involved, our heart gets involved. And it's really it's really hard to say, okay, I'm going to break up with this person because I, I, I want to be sensitive to your breakup that you went through. That's, that isn't very practical, and it's not – and it causes resentment. And it's not, so, and it's not my, fair to the girlfriend. Totally not fair to the for girlfriend. For her to get dumped because this other person your, – your, your primary partner's relationship exactly. ended. And and the, so, the, so, the non-primaries also have to be taken into consideration if indeed you were doing the primary hierarchy thing. But if you are, non-primaries have feelings too. Absolutely. So we have to be really conscious of um, the fact that, that your primary partner is hurting right now. That's something to be conscious of. So if you're in the midst of new relationship energy, not flaunting it, not being too gushy about your girlfriend is a nice thing to do. I know that there's the issue about well, who sleeps where. That's always, you know, it's great when you know your partner's going to take off and go someplace else, and then you can use your bed. So finding an alternative, you live in Seattle, you can come to places like the center or explore maybe a swing club. So you have a place to take your secondary without causing undue concern to your primary or costing lots of money because getting hotels, mm-hmm. you know, that can be really expensive. Is this how common is this though? Because it's you often hear about how hard it is for some people when they think about a poly relationship. What they project themselves into that they think they're going to have the most trouble with is watching your partner have feelings for someone else, watching your partner be in love with somebody else. Then 
no one really anticipates the moment where your partner gets dumped by somebody else and is devastated. Yeah. And you're standing there going, what am I chopped liver? Like I'm not enough for you, but I guess you had to admit that you weren't enough for each other to get into the poly thing to begin with. But then to watch your lover, your, your spouse, your, your, your husband or wife that you are still the primary partner of the husband or wife of to watch them yep. grieve the end of a relationship, to watch them be heartbroken, to be shattered. That must be a difficult position to be in. Not that this guy found, sounds particularly conflicted about it. Well, it is a difficult position. You, you, you want to, you know, we have this thing in poly, the word, word compersion, that's finding joy in the loves of your loves, you know, being happy that your partner's got a lover and all that. And, and that compersion also extends to being sad and, and for them when, when things aren't going well and having a, um, so the, the new relationship energy part is the part that can be probably the most damaging. If, if I'm hurting over a relationship that's not working out and you're going through NRE like crazy, um, it can be a little bit discombobulating for me to watch you get all goofy over somebody when I'm hurting. So again, it goes back to just being conscious of that. One of the things about being poly is that we're a lot more conscious, I hope, than uh, most people. And so having that consciousness of going, okay, she's hurting. I'm not going to be as goofy as I am about this new partner um, as I have been in the past. Right. I'm going to dial it back in front of my wife. Yeah. And also make some special times together. If you, know, if you, have, if you normally have date night on Tuesday, have a second date night. You know, or, or something like that, so that it's a little bit, so that they know that you care, and and you make sure that your secondary partner is aware of the thing that's going on, so that they're aware that it's it's not that I'm ignoring you, it's that I'm going to give my wife a little more attention right now as she gets through this, and, and then introduce her to somebody really hot so that <laughs> she finds, you know, <laughs> she finds a replacement. And I think it would be a good sign if you go to your secondary partner. If this man goes to his secondary partner, to his girlfriend, and says, "My wife just got dumped." My wife is really hurting, so I'm not going to have as much time as I did up until recently because I need to lavish a little extra time and attention on my wife. I hope you understand. And if your secondary partner, caller, if your girlfriend blows up or freaks out, maybe she's not cut out for Polly. Maybe she's not a good girlfriend option for you because you have emotional and social uh, obligations to your spouse that she should value as well, because you're tending to your spouse's emotional needs makes it possible for your spouse to allow you to have a girlfriend in the first place. That's right. And if the, if the tables were turned, you would be there for your secondary if she was going through some problems like that the same way. It's not a, a more than or an either or. It's an and. It's like I'm there for you and I'm there for you. So if his secondary had another relationship and it blew up and he would be there for her to be supportive and take care of her. That's what you do when you have multiple partners that you, you, you're there for them. Hi, I'm a 27 bisexual female from South Africa. I'm phoning because I have quite a shitty problem. I've been in an open relationship with a man, a very loving, awesome man, for the last four years we got married last year and it's been really great and we decided to enter into a polyamorous relationship and that's when the shit started we we started with this girl and she's really amazing and it was supposed to be something that the two of us me and my husband could do together but it ended up just being the two of them and i was slowly being pushed out 
eventually after two and a half months I sort of said something and I wasn't happy anymore because I was being pushed away and I felt like I was the third instead of the wife and this meant that my husband um, of almost a year decided that he didn't know who to choose between. He didn't know who to choose between me or this other woman that he'd been dating for two and a half months. I've tried to be supportive and I've tried to be encouraging and I want him to discover what he really wants. But when he says things like, um, I don't know if I want to be with you because of the life we have together or because of you, um, or when he says things like, oh yeah, I want to be with you, but I don't know if it's because I really love you or if it's because of the flat and the house and the dogs that we have together. So I've decided to take my life into my own hands and I've started to be a little bit more sexually free with myself while we're separated. We've been separated for a month and a half. Um, Unfortunately, he found out that we were separated about a week ago and he is really, really upset. Even though he's been emotionally cheating on me with another woman, even after I had withdrawn my consent in terms of this other woman and their involvement, um, he still continued to see her even though I wasn't happy anymore and I still feel like I'm no longer the primary. And now he's very angry because I've gone and had sex with someone else and and I'm being pushed away and it's not my fault that this relationship is ending. And I just want your advice, Dan, because I, I really don't know what to do. Um, I really thought he was a GGG guy. It was supposed to be all even and equal, but he's just turning out to be this really selfish, misogynistic asshole, and I don't really know how to deal with it. I don't know where to start with this one. Do you want to give it a go out of the gate? Oh, well, so what they're, what, what, what she's talking about is um, the ideal unicorn situation. Uh, we've in the poly world, we have this term unicorn. That's when you, that's, and that's that person that is perfect for the two of you. And why is it called a unicorn? Because there, there's no such thing as a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have to admit, there are a few unicorns out there. I know a couple of people that have found that right person where it clicked for both parties equally and stuff. But the reality is, is parody is really rare in poly. We don't, to fall in love with somebody equally and have them fall in love back with the two of you equally um, or in lust or whatever, it's usually not, it's usually not possible. I've been there. I've actually been there where the third person in my former husband to my relationship, she was my lover first, then she became our lover, and then all of a sudden she's pushing me away as hard as she can to want to be just his lover. And I mean, he eventually kicked her out, but the reality is, is that it happens that way because it's not impossible, but it's so improbable to find the perfect person for the two of you. It sounds to um, me, though, in but, my the way I heard this call, that the, the clearly least perfect person in this relationship for the caller, the imperfect partner, is this husband who says shitty yeah, things that to her, be my second thing. who prioritized mm-hmm. the secondary over her, and who is now, now that they are separated, freaking out that she's having sex with other men, even though he basically ran off with some other woman. That's right. He is um, my, so, so after listening to it, my first inclination is to say, just break up with him. And it, it is, and I, and I'm not normally one to go there. I'm normally one like, Oh, let's work on it and stuff. However, he, you know, the fact that, that uh, he freaked out 
when she found somebody else to be with means that he's not really being conscious at all about relationships and he just wants everything. Right. He did, he didn't want a poly marriage or poly relationship. He wanted a harem. That's yeah. Yeah. And that isn't uh, very practical. You know? So no, I, I think that, that the relationship is in, and she mentioned that they were only married for a year. I'm not sure how long they were together before that, but I'm going to guess that, 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 he's not as committed as she had hoped initially and that she would be better off moving forward, especially if she's got some hot new person that she's with now. Uh, however, I do have a philosophy about rebound partners because that's kind of what this is, is they're not long-term. They're just nice and short and fun while they last and not to get like caught up in the long-term part of it, but realize that, Hey, you can go out and have some fun. But I think that this relationship is not, I'm not going to say it's not savable, but I don't know if it's worth saving. A shout out, uh, a shout out to rebound partnering, though, because individual results may vary. I was with the guy for a year; it was really intense. We broke up. I was really bummed. Went out, met this guy, not right for me in so many ways, and thought just he'll be fun for a little while, three, four months. Twenty-one years later, I'm still married to him. <laughs> so you never okay, know. So you're an exception to the rule. Uh, I am an exception. I just want to like speak for the exceptions on the rebound thing right here. Because I see some people end relationships that for, for just really the arbitrary reason that I met this person too soon after my last breakup. And then you ask them to unpack that and there's really nothing else. They just sort of are superstitious about continuing to see somebody that was a rebound partner initially. And I'm here from the yeah. rebound future to tell you that the rebound sometimes – Works out. Sometimes you do that layup and you uh -huh. score after the rebound to torture. I'm glad to hear that. That's awesome. And and okay, so my in my experience, it hasn't been that way. Um, <laughs> and I'm thrilled that it worked out for you. That's so great. At 21 years, holy cow! I know, right? We just That's keep awesome. we just keep not breaking up. It's the secret of our success. Hi, Dan. My name is Tina, and I am a 29-year-old heteroflexible female in Los Angeles, and I have a great boyfriend. Um, my issue is me. I think the more I listen to your show and learn about alternative sexual relationships or identifications, like identities, I feel like when I read or listen about polyamory that it just speaks to me. It's something that I think I need to have happen in my life. So I guess I'm just trying to figure out where to go from here. So it's become enough of a issue in my mind lately that I need to bring it up with my boyfriend. He knows how I feel about monogamous relationships, which, you know, isn't great. And he's monogamous, but open to thinking about talking about other ideas. But I am afraid that this will just be too big of a blow to him. Uh, I haven't tried anything, but I want to fuck other people. I want to love other people, but I also want him as a main partner in my life. Um, so I guess I'm just looking for tips on how to, I guess, know that I'm polyamorous before I bring this up to him and potentially freak him out and kind of mess with our relationship or his self-esteem or whatever that may cause. And then kind of a delicate way to bring it up. I'm just, yeah, basically just looking for any advice you have. I think the most interesting question she raises, and it's a common one, and I've gotten it from lots of other people and lots of calls on the podcast about this. How do you know if you're polyamorous? Oh, yeah. 
And and I actually wait wait I actually I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you right away because I'm I'm gonna be uh, a dude about this a little bit. It's it's my show. I'm a dude. I interrupt every once in a while. It's a dude thing. I hope you understand. <laughs> you you sleep with dudes. You know how we can be. People yep. talk about how do you know you're polyamorous, and I have always had a little bit of a problem with that. How do you know polyamory is a better relationship model for you? But you're not going to discover you're polyamorous like doing a genetic test and discovering you have a certain amount of uh, African. Uh, heritage like polyamory is something that that you do and something that's better for you because it's going to make you happier but it's not like you sit and look in the mirror for three days and then discover you're polyamorous is it is that how it works no i agree with you it's 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 something you do so i know people where polyamory is like an orientation where and it is for me i've tried monogamy over and over again and didn't. But I also know people where they can go in and out of it comfortably and happily and be monogamous for a while and poly for a while. And, and it, so it's not an orientation necessarily. And it's something that if it works for you, if it gives, makes you sustain your, your life, if it gives you a fully self-expressed life, then polyamory is for you. And it's not easy, but it's, for me, it's the best, best way to be. Mm. And, uh, but I, I I agree. It's it's not something that you just like. <laughs> oh, am I poly? Let me see. Do I have the poly genes and the poly markers and you know my fingernails the right length for poly people? I don't know whatever it is. But Are my toes webbed? That makes you poly. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're more advanced. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's some. I, let's speak up for the advanced monogamists out there. I think there are highly evolved advanced monogamists who can communicate and do yeah. communicate. I actually think it's kind of similar to. Gay men uh, and, and lesbians, I think, when the first time you have sex, you're required to communicate uh, in a way that straight couples default to not communicating because, you know, yeah. man and woman go to bed and they say yes to sex and both often presume that means vaginal intercourse. Two guys say yes to sex, go to bed, and then they have to keep talking about what's going to happen next because yep. nothing can be assumed. And I think that you, so you see sometimes gay people are better at communicating about sex. And I think in poly, you see people who are better at communicating about the relationships because they have yep. to. To be poly, you have to be able to communicate to make it work. There are poly people out there who don't make it work, who aren't good communicators. But they, but to be poly at all, you have to talk and talk and talk and talk. A lot of people who are monogamous, they talk and talk and talk, and they are good communicators, and they're on a solid footing. But in the same way that straight opposite sex couples don't have to talk about sex that first time, a lot of people yep. who are monogamous don't have to talk about their relationship model in a thoughtful, intentional way, the same way poly people do. And so advantage to yep. the poly – when it comes to communication because it's forced on the poly in the same way advantage to the gays when it comes to communicating about sex because it's forced on us. All that said, just want to like getting out in front of the angry calls from people who are monogamous saying, we communicate and we're good at it. <laughs> she thinks she might be poly. She's in a relationship with somebody who values or wants monogamy. She wants to fuck other people, wants to love other people, but wants to be with the monogamous boyfriend she's with now. How do you stick that dismount? So it's, Probably the most difficult thing to create is what they call polymono relationships. I have two clients that I'm coaching around around that right now. What is a polymonogamous relationship? Poly is where one person's polyamorous and the other person identifies as monogamous. So the poly person has multiple partners. Monogamous person has only the poly person as a partner. Mm -hmm. And that is, and it's 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 a tough one. Um, one of my clients actually said, you mean I can't love the poly out of him? And I said, no, he's poly and you can't just change that from him. He can choose to be monogamous with you or he can choose to be poly with you. 
However, it's something that you guys have to work out. And he was like, I just want to go out and have sex with women three or four times a year without having to be a big deal, right? I mean, that was all he wanted. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually call that polyfuckery instead of poly. (laughs) um, Many fucks instead of many loves. Yes, many, many fucks. But the reality is, is that there there are couples that have that, and they and and it takes even more consciousness and more conversation and more agreements. And the big one is that the mono person needs to get that it's not an either or. It's not I love you or I don't love you. It's either or. It's an and. I love you and I love someone else, and it doesn't diminish my feelings for you. And that's a hard one for people to get sometimes. So there's lots of books to read and things you can do to get there. And it's really difficult to reach that point. Uh, and not only is it difficult to reach that point, but a lot of couples, and I know a few who are in that point where one person is monogamous and the other person is poly, it's not just hard for that couple, or it was perhaps hard for that couple to understand it and to work through it and to come to this place where they feel good about it and it's working for them. But then they will be judged by people outside their relationship mm-hmm. because people will say, oh, the monogamous one is being abused. It's not fair. It's not egalitarian. Uh, it's not reciprocal. And the question we need to ask when you encounter somebody who's in a polymental relationship isn't, is it fair, but are they happy? Does this model work for that couple and make both happy? That's right. Because if he's happy or she's happy being with their partner and having sex with other people and their partner is happy being with just that person who sometimes has sex with other people and doesn't want anybody else and is happy, then it's it's okay, even if it's not necessarily what some people might think of as Fairsies and the way you divide ice cream for children sense of fairsies. Because <laughs> if somebody doesn't want any fucking ice cream, then giving them a bowl of ice cream isn't really giving them anything. So somebody doesn't want to fuck right. anybody else but this one person, forcing them to, so it, it makes you comfortable with their relationship is bullshit. That's right. I'm I'm, I'm in a hundred percent agreement with that. People people can choose that, and I know some very successful relationships where they're partners are poly and they're not sometimes it has to be because their partners are kinky and so they want to do something that they're you know and i guess a good a good analogy would be so let's say that i really like to go to the theater and i like the game and i like to go to sports but my partner only likes sports am i going to not go to theater and not go gaming because my partner only wants to go do sports no i'm going to go find a friend to go gaming with i'm going to friend to find a friend to go to the theater with and it's the same kind of thing. I have a great sexual relationship with you, and I want to go have a great sexual relationship with that person, other person, and then I want to get tied up by somebody down the road, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it doesn't it doesn't lessen what I have with a partner. It just it's just an end. And we but we we put such a big onus on sex. You know, we use sex as a way to like cause all kinds of sparks and and right. and you know. It's so important that you can't do it with anyone else, and it's so unimportant that you shouldn't want to do it with anyone else. That's right. That's so, right. what is our advice for this caller in her particular predicament? However, she wants she clearly is crawling toward monogamy, or is aware enough to say monogamy is not for me, monogamy is not right for me. But she is in a monogamous relationship as she comes to this realization. As so many people who wind up being poly are. They enter into monogamous relationships because yep. that's what it is expected of us and people will do it because they, that's what good people do and we want to be good people. So we make monogamous commitments that we then discover we are incapable of honoring or that don't make us happy even as we honor them. And then how, how, do, you want, how do you paint yourself out of that corner? What so should she, what should I, she I say, say to her boyfriend? She, 
that's a hard one. It really is. It's like one of the things is to pick up a couple good books that talk about poly that, and say, say, this is something that is, that I'm interested in, that, that it resonates with me. And I want you to find out about this and let's talk about whether, and it sounds to me like she might've already brought this up with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not. So there's a great new book out called more than two. And then, Tristan Termino's book, Opening Up, is good. And, of course, The Ethical Slot, which has been around forever. Um, having having something that, that you can hand to the person and say, here, read this, find out about about this. This is what is sparking me. This is what is interesting me. And then making agreements on how you proceed. So if he's like, oh, I'm I'm willing to try it, maybe kind of, sort of, then say, well, what, do you, what kind of agreements do we need to make to, to make it comfortable for you? And take it really like baby steps, little short, like little tiny baby steps. It's a hard one. It's 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 the one that can probably destroy a relationship faster than anything is is the whole polymono stuff. But it's not an uncommon place to be because most people who are poly it's, entered into monogamous relationships back before they realized that that right. model didn't work for them. So a lot of people have found their way out of the corner that you, caller, have found yourself in. And I, I would also second those those recommendations. Of course, uh, Dossie Easton and oh, what was her co-author? Dossie Easton and who wrote the ethical slut? Hardy. Who wrote yeah. the ethical slut? Excellent book. Opening up by Tristan Taramino. Excellent book. And the new recommendation was more than two by Eve Rickett and, and Franklin Vole. A ray, just amazing, amazing uh, book, and uh, really has a lot of great things about jealousy and about creating about myths and everything. It's it's pretty incredible. And it's a fairly new book. It's just been out uh, shortly. So I highly recommend it. So you've got some reading to do, caller. You have some homework and good luck. Elena Gabash, founding director of the Center for Sex Positive Culture, poly activist counselor, also poly podcaster. Check out the archives of her poly show, which should be coming back soon. The Relationship Anarchy Show, which you will find at therashow.com. Thank you so much, Elena, for jumping on the phone. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's good to talk to you. Hi, Dan. So my boyfriend's birthday is coming up and I want to give him really something really special. I would like to take him to a strip club and go down on him while he gets a lap dance from a woman. I have two concerns. One, I work in corrections, so I'm fairly concerned with ending up with some kind of sex charge as that would completely devastate my career. Two, I'm fairly also concerned with the hygiene of the prospect. So I'm not completely uptight and I don't think that every strip club is drowning in STDs. I am aware of the risks. I want to be careful, but I don't also want to walk in and wipe down the benches with Lysol wipes. So any suggestions of how I could overcome these two obstacles would be extremely appreciated. You're not going to get a disease sitting on a bench, sitting on a, in a booth in a strip club or sitting on a bar stool in a strip club. You're just not going to get a disease. So you don't need to worry about that. You're in law enforcement, wherever it is that you live. Ask yourself, how often do law enforcement agencies where you live conduct raids on strip clubs? And that will give you a pretty decent assessment of the risk you run, giving your boyfriend a blowjob in a strip club while he gets a lap dance from a dancer. Lap dances are legal. Blowjobs so long as you're not paying for them unless you're being filmed, are legal. So no law is being broken there if you are filleting your boyfriend for free while the nice lap dance lady gives him a lap dance for money. You will be 
in the clear. If you're super concerned about it, you can go to a strip club and you can inquire. If you're super concerned about doing something in public and getting busted for public sex on the one day every 35 years, a law enforcement agency in your neck of the woods gets a bug in its ass about raiding a strip club for no fucking reason, you can talk to the nice stripper ladies about whether they make house calls, about how much it would cost for them to drop by your house and then give them your full fantasy. And when you tell the nice lady who does the lap dances what you're interested in, not her coming to your house, not her blowing your boyfriend, but her doing in your house what she does at the club, just a lap dance, that's it, while you fillet your boyfriend, I bet you'll get a yes, particularly if you double her fee and it's all going to go in her pocket and the house isn't going to get a cut and she's going to get a tip. I bet you'll get a yes. So you can go to a strip club, flirt, meet the strippers, and then find the one who's happy to run by your house after her shift or the next day when she's off to fulfill your fantasy. I still think, however, you should just go for it in the fucking strip club. Ask for a private lap dance. Most strip clubs that do lap dances have a private booth where you can get a private lap dance. Go in there, the two of you with the stripper, and tell her what it is that you want to do. Get her consent. Don't just start filleting the boyfriend in front of her, but say, my fantasy is to blow him while he gets a lap dance from you. Are you game? And I bet you'll get a yes. And tip her. Hey, Dana, tech savvy at risk youth. I'm calling in regard to the construction worker who was trying to fit in with her male colleagues. Your advice to add her jokes about herself, making fun of herself and throwing her breasts and her pussy into the whole discussion, probably not great advice. I've worked in male-dominated uh, industries my whole life, and it's one of those things that she's better off just laughing at them, saying things like, God, why don't you two just fuck each other already, but keep herself out of it. Someday they will cross a line. And if she's been joking about her pussy and her tits the whole time and they cross that line and she's got to go to HR, it's going to be ugly. So keep yourself out of it. Laugh at them. Laugh at them being silly. Laugh at them sounding like they're in an eighth grade locker room. Uh, but keep yourself out of it. Hey, Dan. I'm calling about uh, episode 491, the guy whose girlfriend had never had an orgasm and would make him stop when she was about to go over the edge because she thought she was going to pee. I can tell you from experience what she's feeling isn't that she's going to piss everywhere. It's that she is about to ejaculate all over him. I am a huge squirter. I make entire messes of beds and back before I even knew that that was a thing, I would do the exact same thing. I, my boyfriend would be going down on me or whatever, and I would just feel like I was about to piss. And he did exactly what you advise this guy to do. He said, fine, go ahead, do it. Let's see what happens. And I did not piss. I squirted all over the place and had the best orgasm I've ever had. So I think he needs to get her some information about female ejaculation and do exactly what you said. Say, babe, just go for it. Whatever you're feeling, just let it go. And I guarantee she is going to eventually end up being a very lucky young lady once she just gives into it and starts squirting all over the place. 
This is a comment on your caller with the Fox News dad. I share your liberal pacifism, pacifism and guilt, but we need to get on the attack just like our friends on the other side of the aisle are. Get 10 of your friends and get them to vote and swamp your dad's vote, and then you can talk about all of your organizing and get out the vote stuff at Christmas. And then you can bring a big box of tissues on the election night. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Elena Gabosh on Twitter at LadySun333. HumpFilmFest.com for dates and locations. Hump. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.